Hey everyone, what's up and welcome to Front Run, where we predict the future of money and technology. Thank you to all of the listeners, subscribers, and followers. I had a blowout week on the Front Run Substack. I'm truly impressed by like the level of interest the Front Run Crypto.com Substack is getting with respect to all of our crypto and market research. For those of us out there who are new to the Front Run ecosystem, if this is your first time with us, we are all here to front run the next generation of wealth creation that we believe to be decentralized finance and cryptocurrency. Yes, even cryptocurrency in the middle of this bear market. Technologies like Bitcoin and blockchain and even Ethereum as its element layer of all financial transactions are truly transformative platforms that are going to change the way people bank. That's our thesis, and there's an opportunity to capitalize upon that. I'm your host, John Cook, streaming live. It is the first week of December 2022 for all of those listening out in podcast land. We have a really packed agenda today. And normally I do this on a podcast like audio only, upload it to the RSS feed, frontrunnercrypto.com. You can check it on Spotify, Apple, etc. But I wanted to pivot a bit and do something live and actually walk through one of the analyses that we published about a week ago uh, on YouTube. So for those who are listening along, I'm going to describe the charts, etc. But for those on YouTube, we're going to actually walk through the analysis, uh, the flow of data that I put together, etc. And the topic for today, posted this to Reddit, ton of feedback and interest. I think I'm going to double down on this. We're going to cover and answer the question, was Grayscale's Bitcoin premium a leveraged Ponzi? Okay. And the catalyst for even answer, even beginning to ask this question was the continued capitulation that we see every week across the broader crypto ecosystem as a byproduct of the FTX rollout. Like for the first week of December 2022, we saw BlockFi, right, file bankruptcy. We have a completely separate analysis on that. Uh, BlockFi got wrecked, and DCG, uh, which is the parent company of Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust, pushed a, or at least requested a $500 million bailout for its subsidiaries like Genesis, which was the lending arm that, in partial, funded Grayscale. Moreover, Gemini, which is a crypto exchange, you might know them from the earn. It was called the Gemini Earn Program, right? Use Genesis to facilitate the yield farming that they used to pay uh, their depositors 6 7%. It all went to zero the past week. And that led me to ask why. Why did everything go to zero, right? The easy answer is you blame FTX. FTX is the reason that it went to zero. But no, I think if you ask the why behind the why, you'll realize that FTX was the end result of a series of risky investments. When you look at BlockFi's bankruptcy proceedings, they're going to make the claim that Alameda Research foobarred their $680 million loan and lost it, right? And therefore, it's BlockFi's fault, not, not, sorry, therefore, it's Alameda's fault and not BlockFi. But what we're seeing is that there are a series of ongoing trades, right? And 
decisions made by the Genesis lending desk, the Gemini lending desk, the BlockFi lending desk, it's just pure blissful ignorance. So for example, how could an exchange like Gemini or BlockFi deploy depositor funds to Genesis, three hours capital, and expect 20%, 30% yield? How? Well, the answer that we know now is that it was really a byproduct of many leveraged investments, one of which is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust that was at one point trading uh, trading at a premium. So over the course of this podcast, we're going to answer the question, was Grayscale's Bitcoin premium a leveraged Ponzi? It was for sure leveraged. That's our TLDR. Moreover, for those who aren't familiar with Grayscale and the Bitcoin Trust, we're going to answer... What is the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust and what does it mean to have a Bitcoin Trust in the first place? Moreover, how did exchanges like Gemini, sorry, how did exchanges like BlockFi and Gemini and hedge funds like Genesis and Theros Capital use the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust? And then what role did Digital Currency Group, which is the parent company of Grayscale, play in this entire leveraged investment thesis? And were they the invisible hand that perhaps cultivated all of this? It's truly suspicious. The analysis is in the show notes. You can also go to forearmcrypto.com and check it out. But in the spirit of just the detail that we're going to go into, let's uh, let's dive into it and we'll walk through our analysis together. So let's start at the top. Uh, what is Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, right? And what does it mean for a trust like Grayscale to trade at a premium? So remember, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is a subsidiary of Digital Currency Group. In previous articles, we outlined that Digital Currency Group is a holding company that owns many crypto brands, including Gen- including Gem- uh, Genesis, Grayscale, Coindesk. It goes on and on and on. So Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust is at its core an investment vehicle that gives retail and institutional investors exposure to Bitcoin, but within a traditional finance construct. So to compare and contrast against traditional finance, you have an E-Trade account, a Fidelity account, you might have a Robinhood account, right? And you want to get exposure into Bitcoin, but you don't, you can't buy Bitcoin directly from Fidelity. So Grayscale saw this opportunity and created a trust, right? Investors buy shares in the trust and the trust custodian manages the Bitcoin. So there's a trust called Grayscale managed by a custodian called Grayscale and in it there's Bitcoin. So when you buy shares in the trust, what you're actually getting is exposure to the underlying asset which is Bitcoin. So if you think about in the DeFi world, you go to an exchange, you buy Bitcoin, you own the Bitcoin. In the TradFi world, you go to your brokerage provider like Fidelity or E-Trade, you buy shares of Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust, which gives you exposure to 
the underlying asset, the trust custodians, which is Bitcoin. This was actually a very like popular idea uh, that made Grayscale. It was it was DCG's cash cow. Grayscale at its peak was making over four hundred five hundred million dollars a year in management fees just from managing the trust, right? And like the the core of it is that the demand for Bitcoin was so high in 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020 that the trust couldn't acquire enough Bitcoin. So the underlot so the trust market value actually traded at a premium to its underlying asset, which is Bitcoin. Let's go through these concepts to like quantify it and make it more real. When we say premium or discount, all right, a premium is a reference to the difference between the value of the holdings of the trust versus the market price of the holdings, right? One more time. It's the difference between the value of the holdings of the trust versus the market price of the holdings, right? So in a premium, if the if the market price is 100, but the value of the underlying holding is 50, right? That's a 100% premium. 50 plus 50 is 100, right? And that was that presented an opportunity to many investors like Veras Capital and uh, Genesis, right? So that's point one, premiums. It's the difference between the value of the holdings of the trust versus the market price of the holdings, right? Then there's this concept that you hear a lot called the native asset value or NAV. If you go to Grayscale's Bitcoin uh, Trust website, you'll see right now, I'm going to pull it up for y'all, for those listening on the YouTubes, uh, we can go to Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, and they talk a lot about a NAV. What is the NAV or native asset value of the uh, of the underlying, right? So we can see like it's trading at a discount, right? There's the mar- there's the BTC holdings versus the market share price and the native asset value. But what that means is the current value of the holdings, that is its underlying value, is the native asset value. So again, if the holding is one Bitcoin and Bitcoin's trading at $20,000 a share, uh, then its native asset value is 20000 right? So the current price of the holdings is what the trust costs on the stock market, right? So the, the current market price of the holdings is what the trust costs on the stock market. If you put that all of, all of that together... What we say is when the market price is higher than the NAV, the difference is called the premium, right? The native asset value plus the premium is the market price. So if the native asset value of the underlying asset, which is Bitcoin, is $20,000, but it's trading at a 50% premium, that's $10,000. So that... On a one-to-one basis, if the trust held one sh- one Bitcoin per one share, the NAV on a $20,000 Bitcoin with a $10,000 premium it would be a $30,000 market price, right? But it gets a little more complicated because Grayscale's Bitcoin trust doesn't hold Bitcoin one-to-one. There's actually a steep, there's actually quite a bit of dilution. One, one share of Grayscale is about like, 0.0001 Bitcoin. We'll have a table on that 
uh, shortly. But the premium, which is like the linchpin all of this, nobody dictates it, okay? It's a function of supply and demand, like a buyer on one side and a seller on the other side. The traders create this premium as a result of trading. There's no entity or formula that sets the premium. And you can like see this uh, really closely. I, I pulled up a chart that outlines the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust as the top, uh, as the top graph and then the actual native asset value premium to discount as the bottom right so we can see let me zoom out a little bit that from 2016 2017 2018 man it was dude it was wild 140 percent premium it kind of stabilized at around the 40th at the 40 percent range so what this is saying is that the uh the premium relative to the native asset value was 40 percent so that means uh uh one Bitcoin costs approximately, to buy one Bitcoin, you have to pay about 1.4 Bitcoin equivalent, right? And that was called the, uh, that's the premium. It sounds crazy, but that's literally what happened. The gotcha is that uh, there isn't one-to-one -one shares with respect to grayscale Bitcoin and actual Bitcoin. I'm going to scroll down a little bit. And you can see in this table that we pulled up, GBTC to BCT, BTC ratio is about uh, one tenth hundred thousandth. One grayscale Bitcoin trust share is about uh, one one thousandth of one Bitcoin, right? So you got to do the math pro rata. But when we say that the premium is 40%, what we're really saying is that uh, bit one. Bitcoin is worth 140% of a Bitcoin in Grayscale's trust. It's crazy. And that presented a trading opportunity for hedge funds like Three Hours Capital and Genesis. And it caused exchanges like Gemini and BlockFi to participate in the madness. Let's keep going down. Uh, the grayscale Bitcoin analysis so we can like put a little more math behind it. So if we look at like the uh, 10K from fiscal year 20 for grayscale, right, we can actually see clearly from their 10K, their spot price is 3290, right? That's it, an over-the-counter pink sheet. So it's 3290 per per share of grayscale Bitcoin trust. But the native asset value is 2773, right? See, that's the premium in play, right? So one share of Bitcoin, the native asset value, that's a really kludgy way of saying it. The Bitcoin per share, that's really what they mean. Uh, there's actually $27.73 of Bitcoin for every Grayscale Bitcoin Trust share. But to buy $27.73 of Bitcoin through the trust you have to pay $39, $32.90, right? That is that is the premium that was commanded. And like you don't have to believe me, I encourage everybody to do their own diligence and but we actually put the math out to the interwebs for all y'all to see like as of fiscal as of calendar year 2020 there were about 638 million shares of Grayscale's trust outstanding, 638. But the number of Bitcoin that was in custody was about 
607,000. So remember from the previous example, one GBTC share was worth like one one thousandth of uh of a Bitcoin. Here it's actually worth it's like worth one ten thousandth, right? So if you like at the end of the the calendar year, one Bitcoin traded for about twenty nine thousand dollars. You can take the native asset value and figure out what it is by multiplying the spot price of Bitcoin times the number of Bitcoin in the custody of the in the custody of the custodian, which is about seventeen billion dollars. But but the GBT spot price at the same time was thirty two ninety. We know that from the ten k. So you get the GBTC market cap, which is just the spot price. Uh, times the number of GBT shares outstanding. So you see the difference? The GBTC market cap for those following along on Spotify and the RSS feed is $21 billion, but the native asset value, which is the actual value of the underlying token, is twenty is $17 billion. So that means the difference between the market cap and the native asset value is about $3 billion. And if you do the math, you take the difference between uh, the market cap minus the native asset value, and then you divide that by the native asset value. You get an 18% premium, and that's what it was trading for at the end of 2020, 18%. This, was, this still represented a good opportunity for, P, for institutional investors who were interested in, in like earning yield. So if you think about, think about how Gemini Earn was was able to pay 7% APY to depositors. They were only able to do that because you had institutions like Grayscale Bitcoin Trust trading at a 20% premium. So if you could imagine, if you could play the Delta like as 3 hours capital or perhaps even Genesis, which is crazy because it's also a partner company, what you would have is organizations like Genesis play the trade, earn the yield, keep 10%, maybe 5%, right? Do a leverage trade on it, and then pay the delta back to, in this case, it was BlockFi. And we'll go through an actual example. But what drove part of the demand is that there just wasn't enough Bitcoin in circulation relative to the demand, we can see, according to 98 Analytics, in 2020, December, Grayscale bought 55,000 Bitcoins, but only 27,000 were mined in the previous month, right? So when you ask yourself, what caused the premium? Yes, it was for sure institutional and retail demand as well as leveraged trades, but there was also just not enough Bitcoin in circulation as measured by like just the volume of Bitcoin bought right uh, in November 2020 and December 2020. So now that we know what the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is, it's a investment vehicle that grants shareholders of the trust exposure to the underlying asset, which is Bitcoin. We know what a premium versus discount is. It's the difference between the value of the holdings of the trust and the market price of the holdings. 
we know to calculate the native asset value, right, which is the value of the underlying asset times the number of assets that are owned, right? And the market price is what the asset, which in this case is the trust, costs on the stock market. When you take the native asset value and you calculate the premium, that in total is the market price. And if you'd like a rundown of the math behind it, we put the link in the show notes. Everybody should do the math themselves. So when we see articles like, I'm going to pull one up, BlockFi, BlockFi used FTX's platform to trade and had $355 million of crypto frozen in the exchange, according to, who is this, The Block, right? Or when you see another article or like bankruptcy proceeding, like BlockFi loaned $680 million freaking dollars to FTX's affiliate hedge fund Alameda, the natural question you should ask is what are they doing with the money, right? What were all of these institutions doing with the money? And I'm calling out Digital Currency Group, Genesis, Grayscale, FTX, BlockFi, Alameda Research, and Three Arrows Capital plus Gemini, they're all doing the same part. They're all participating in the same insanity. They were trading leveraged BTC positions. So how are they doing it? Let's look back no sooner than June 2022. Remember, June 2022 was, really May 2022 was right before the capitulation of the DeFi summer. But that's when we had uh, exchanges like BlockFi posting 10% yields to retail investors, right? So retail investors would pump money into these centralized exchanges like BlockFi and who in turn would give money to hedge funds like Genesis, right? BlockFi, Genesis, and everybody else I've just mentioned would then take the customer deposits and directly or indirectly enter into long GBTC positions. That's where they would buy the GBTC. And it's let me back up. It's actually when they when they enter when an organization like Three Hours Capital or Genesis enters into a long GBTC position, what they're saying is they deposit Bitcoin into the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, and then they get shares of Grayscale Bitcoin Trust in return, right? BTC goes in, GBTC comes out. And the upside is that the GBTC at this time was trading at a premium relative to this underlying asset, right? So after the six-month lockup period, which was the minimum amount of time that uh, BTC depositors had to keep their GBTC positions, they could sell it at like a 30-40% profit. But hedge funds are greedy, exchanges are greedy, and they wanted access to liquidity immediately. So what did they do? They would borrow against the GBTC by converting their position into cash or US dollar-denominated stablecoins, right? 
they would use some of that to provide yield to their depositors. This is all in the bankruptcy proceedings too, guys. This is wild. And they would repeat the loop with new depositor funds and new leveraged GBTC positions. And if it sounds complicated, it's because it is. There's a diagram that I have displayed for everybody watching the video. Is if we just start at one, we have Genesis and BlockFi, right? We'll start with the simple flow. BlockFi is an exchange that offers yield. So how do they get the yield? They lend it to, they take depositor funds like Bitcoin and lend it to the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. In return, they get Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares that offer a 20 to 40% premium after the lockup period. That's simple, right? But let's add let's add a layer of complexity to it. Genesis is a lending desk that would give institutional capital to hedge funds like three arrows capital via the same approach. Genesis has Bitcoin via institutional investors. They lend Bitcoin to hedge funds like Theros Capital. Theros Capital deploys the Bitcoin to the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And in return, they receive Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares. But remember, they wanted liquidity of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares now. They didn't want to wait right, for the six-month lockup window to end. So what would they do? Three Arrows Capital would lend GBTC back to Genesis, the person they borrowed the Bitcoin from, right? And then with the with the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares that were in possession of Three Arrows Capital via the Bitcoin that Genesis lent them, Genesis would would collateralize would issue a loan for US dollar stablecoins collateralized by the Great Scale Bitcoin Trust shares. So Three Arrows Capital gives Genesis, really lends Genesis Great Scale Bitcoin Trust shares. Genesis lends US dollar stablecoins back to Three Arrows Capital. And then the cycle repeats again. Three Arrows Capital trades the USDC for Bitcoin lends the Bitcoin to the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, receives Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares back in return, and then the process repeats again. They lend the borrowed Bitcoin Trust shares back to Genesis, who lends them more U.S. dollar-denominated stablecoins. It is absolute insanity. All right. That is the play they ran. So when we answer, when we try to answer the question... Was this a Ponzi? I've read the SEC filings. I believe Grayscale when they say they are in custody of Bitcoin. Grayscale is the custodian of Bitcoin for Coinbase, for Kraken, for all of the big US domiciled exchanges. So I believe that the Bitcoin is there. But it was for sure a leveraged position that they were trading via the scenario that we're describing here, right? It's it's an infinite loop of 
deploying Bitcoin, receiving Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares, deploying the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares back to the lender, receiving US dollar denominated stable coins collateralized by the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares, buying more Bitcoin, sending the receiving Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares in return. This is what led to the downfall of Three Arrows Capital, and it's what led to the downfall of Genesis, and it's what led to the downfall of BlockFi, and it's what's going to lead the de to the downfall of all of these other exchanges who continue to participate in this, right? And what makes this even wilder is, remember, Digital Currency Group owns Grayscale and Genesis Trading, so you have... Genesis Trading go into Three Arrows Capital and uh, all these other hedge funds saying, hey, thanks for depositing Bitcoin into my sister company, Grayscale. How about I give you some liquidity on that Bitcoin trust shares that you have in possession right now so you can go earn more yield? And they're owned by the same company. I think there's going to be some regulatory investigation in here for sure. That is, is, that is if the SEC isn't like completely beholden to the billionaire class that owns these companies. And then, of course, you have Coindesk. Coindesk is supposed to be an independent reporter that, like, objectively reports on these various crypto bombs, but they're also owned by Digital Currency Group. How can they have any measure of objectivity given that they're owned by the same parent company? My, my point of view is that there is not objectivity there, and I think there's some internal risk management coins doing coindesk is doing to protect its parent company right the net net behind all this is like the net asset value premium trade that's what they were doing right and we now know that the net asset value premium trade is dead i mean we can go to it and just check out what the trade's looking at right now. For those listening on podcasts, I'm looking at uh, a chart of the premium, the BTC holdings per share versus the actual market price per share, right? So the NAV versus the actual market. And we can see as of this podcast, the BTC holdings per share is 1549 USD, but the market price per share is $8.82. So it's trading almost at a 50% discount right now. So the question you might have and I have is, wow, this sounds like a great opportunity. You buy some Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares and at some point in the future, the market's going to realize this is an asset that's – this is a stock that's trading at a discount relative to its underlying asset and it's going to realize and capture that value. Kathy Woods thinks that she bought about 600,000 shares of Grayscale about a week ago. The challenge is that this this value can only be realized in one of three scenarios. Scenario number one is that all of the shareholders vote to vote to uh, dissolve the trust. Seventy five percent of the total shareholders have to agree to dissolving the trust. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, number two, the trust operator has to dissolve the trust. I don't think that's going to happen either. Grayscale earns over four hundred million dollars a year. In managing the trust, they charge a 2% management fee for the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, right? So uh, you put a dollar in. For every dollar you put into Grayscale, you're paying two cents in management fees, right? Adds up. The third option is the SEC could convert the uh, Grayscale Trust to an ETF, which would like close the loop on the spot price. 
that that was going to happen, uh, but it, the claim was denied by the SEC, and it's certainly not going to happen now on the backdrop of the FTX collapse. This is called Schedule M regulation. You can look it up. Schedule M regulation grayscale, and uh, it was denied a couple months ago. So unless one of those three things happen, we don't see an opportunity for the market price of the the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust to converge at its underlying uh, holding. Unless there's another bull run, but we don't know when that will be. Arthur Hayes posted an interesting article on this position, and it'll be in the show notes where y'all can look at it later if you want. But proceed with caution. So when this, the net-net, what happened? We now... We now know for sure, based on the bankruptcy proceedings, that BlockFi had $1.7 billion of exposure to Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, right? And Genesis had $5 billion of exposure to Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, right? So again, going back up to the, uh, the org chart, Genesis, the sister company to Grayscale, had over $5 billion of exposure Moreover, BlockFi also had a billion dollars of exposure just from the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. And we're not even talking about any of the catastrophe from the FTX. Uh, FTX was a whole nother problem. Uh, remember, BlockFi was supposed to get bailed out, I think, by FTX. And for $400 million, that never happened. So now, uh, I think BlockFi... Let me let's look up let's look up the uh the bankruptcy proceeding. I don't want to misquote this, right? Yeah. FTX provided BlockFi with a $275 million line of credit to avoid bankruptcy. It wasn't 400 million. And now in the uh bankruptcy proce- proceeding submitted by BlockFi, which I have on the screen, we can see that FTX is listed as a creditor, right? So they're seeking relief from the $275 million. So uh, this is the liability for FTX. I guess you could say it was an asset too, but it might have been a liability for BlockFi. But uh, it, well, it's technically a liability for FTX because BlockFi is seeking relief from it, right? It's listed as a creditor in the BlockFi bankruptcy proceeding. But on the other side of like the table, BlockFi is suing FTX for, again, $355 million. So in this case, uh, BlockFi is uh, the creditor, not FTX. And moreover, BlockFi is also the creditor for uh, the Alameda hedge fund blowout where they owe BlockFi $680 million. That was truly wild. And we got, we got it. We got to dive into it because it's just, it's just insanity. But before we do that, let's just make sure we're all on the same page, right? With what happened, right? Grayscale Bitcoin trust. Bitcoin goes in, Grayscale Bitcoin trust shares come out, a loop repeats where Genesis collateralizes the Bitcoin trust shares, returns U.S. dollar stablecoins to the borrower. The borrower now used the U.S. dollar stablecoins to buy Bitcoin. 
which they lend to the trust. The trust gets back Grayscale Bitcoin Trust shares. And then it goes back to Genesis, where in exchange for the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust newly issued shares, more US dollar stablecoins are issued. And it repeats over and over and over. And in this case, everyone's happy because they're owned by the same parent organization, DCG. DCG made money as the Bitcoin lender. DCG made money as the USDC lender. DCG made money as the BTC trustee. And then the actual hedge funds and exchanges like Three Arrows Capital and BlockFi profited on the BTC GBTC trade, right? But that trade eventually died in 2021. And I, what I'm having on the chart now for the pod, uh, listening to the podcast is that I think as of this writing, it's down and to the right. The Grayscale Bitcoin Trust is trading at like, what, 43% of a discount relative to its underlying value. So off the backdrop of this like catastrophe that we've experienced, there's there's cascading liquidations. We know that for sure, right? And then when you overlay like the federal man the Federal Reserve's mandate on just reducing the total money supply, the quantity of dollars in circulation in an attempt to crush inflation, the entire industry went into like risk off mode. But one person survived and we all know who that is. The White Knight of Crypto, and I have on the screen Forbes and Fortune magazine. It's uh, it's fucking SBF. I'm so tired of talking about this guy. But on the Fortune, the cover of Fortune magazine, the the label is FTX, the next Warren Buffett. Clearly not. But his leveraged positions enabled FTX to essentially bail out companies like BlockFi. Right? Remember, in the last crypto winter. Uh, FTX bailed out BlockFi by offering a 250 ended up to being a $275 million revolving line of, line of credit that BlockFi is now seeking relief on, seeking relief from, right? And then on the other hand, you have trading firms like Genesis who got wrecked this summer, also by the GBTC play, by saying... And I quote, the loans to this counterparty, Three Arrows Capital, had a weighted average margin requirement of 80% once they were unable to meet the margin requirement. Once they were able to meet the margin call requirements, we immediately sold the collateral and hedged our downside, right? What does that mean? It means when the Bitcoin trust shares went from trading at a premium to a discount, the loan amount hit its margin call which means the collateral that was backing the loan went down in value, right? When the collateral that's backing the loan goes down in value, the lender wants their money back, right? I mean, let's well, let's walk through an example really quick. We can say like if you took out a million dollar loan and you collateralized it uh, by $900,000 of Bitcoin, right? Now Bitcoin crashes and the collateral you, you the asset you use as collateral is now worth five hundred thousand dollars, right? You are in you will get a margin call in that requirement. Um alternatively, another really popular example is maybe you deposit a million dollars, 
right? And you use that to get like $3 million of exposure to Bitcoin, right? But now the $3 million of exposure you've went uh, out and acquired drops 20%, right? So your $3 million of exposure from $1 million of Bitcoin dropping by 20%, right? That's 300000 600000 You're down $600,000. You're also going to get a margin call then because... You're down $600,000, but you only have a million dollars, which you use to leverage up to $300,000, million. So you are way past the margin requirements in that scenario, and you will be liquidated, right? You deposit a million, you get leveraged to $3 million, but uh, you go down $600,000, right? That's the risk of margin. So in order to avoid this insolvency, right, they need additional capital. So who came to the rescue for Genesis? DCG. DCG, the parent company, of course, rescued Genesis, right? They assumed $1.2 billion of bad debt uh, from Theros Capital. And what I have on the screen for uh, those listening is the message from the DCG CEO uh, stating about the $1.1 billion promissory note that was made, uh, and I quote, as we shared in our previous shareholder letter in August 2022, DCG stepped in and assumed certain liabilities from Genesis related to those uh, the three-hour capital default. As stated in August, because these are now DCG liabilities, DCG is participating in three-hours capital liquidation proceedings, and it goes on and on and on, right? And they go on to say that uh, this is a $1.1 billion promissory note in addition to the uh, $575 million liability they have to Genesis plus the $350 million credit facility that they have to a lender called Eldridge. But DCG is saying that uh, it's okay because their aggregate organization is doing $800 million a year in revenue, right? So I take it all with a grain of salt. But on the backdrop of that, the DCG acquiring shares of, there's really three things that happen, uh, four things, right? FTX bailed out BlockFi, that failed, right? DCG bailed out Genesis, right? GBTC demand evaporated, driving its share price from like $50 per share to about 9 dollars per share at the time of this podcast and Theros Capital went bankrupt. So when you put all that together, like what does it mean? It means that Digital Currency Group is now the largest holder of the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. I have a Bloomberg terminal screen open right now and you can see that DCG as of as of the time of this podcast owns about 10% of the trust, right? The second largest owner is of course Arc Investment Management. So they have an they have a position to see this succeed for sure, but but it only gets worse, right? I mean, we have not included any of uh, really discussions from BlockFi. I mean, we talked about them like at a kind of a macro level, but this was really about Grayscale's Bitcoin Trust, 
the Grayscale Premium that trades at a discount and the carnage from uh, from the FTX fallout. In the next podcast, we're actually going to uh, review BlockFi in greater detail, drilling down into how BlockFi got basically wrecked by the same trade. But no matter what, guys, just remember that what I'm describing right now is that best an incomplete assessment of the broader 2022 crypto collapse. I mean, because we haven't talked, remember, Voyager went to zero, $660 million. Vald, Vald was acquired by Nexo for $300 million. And Nexo now has super questionable uh, liquidity profiles. Babel Finance had a $3 billion liquidity crunch. And of course, UST Luna just collapsed and that destroyed about $50 billion of wealth, right? So I... I'd proceed with caution in all this and stay tuned for the next episode where we cover uh, BlockFi in greater detail. And last plug, I'm doing something new in the spirit of staying up to date on the broader crypto market. One thing that I've learned is that we learn by doing for sure, but we also learn by reading, right? And reading the state of the crypto economy, reading financial statements, reading market news, reading what matters in the broader finance market. I spend maybe an hour, hour and a half every day just reading because it's really interesting to me. And it was part of, and it's just how I grew up in like consulting and finance and technology. I spend maybe an hour and a half reading finance stuff. It's pretty nerdy. And my thought process is how can I actually share all of that information to all of the front runners out there. I thought about like writing a weekly, a weekly write up, but I've came to the conclusion that it's just way too much going on in the crypto world to like do a write up of all the impactful events. So I'm going to be starting. This is now day number three for all the early listeners. Thank you again. A new initiative called crypto before bedtime. Crypto before bedtime is a very, very easy, lightweight, 20 to 30 minute ish podcast that we're going to publish every single day that outlines the top three or four events that happened in the broader crypto and finance market. I'll provide commentary, my point of view, hot takes on it. And we'll use that as the mechanism to report up to date information and commentary on what's happening within crypto. I think that's much more efficient than like writing like a 5,000 page analysis of like what happens every Friday. Because at its core, frontrun crypto is market and frontrun crypto is market and crypto research, and I want to stay true to that cause and make sure that we publish content, deep dive, data driven analysis on crypto and market issues, and not get hung up in like doing a bunch of reporting on like what's happening in the crypto market. I think that's also, there's a lot of great people that do that already. I don't think I need to rehash that. So I think a 20 or 30 minute just speed run on what's happening might be an easier play than spending like hours every day compiling and researching for the end of week. So with that said, that's also going to be on the RSS feed. It's on YouTube already. If you like what you heard, guys, go to frontruncrypto.com hit the subscribe button or leave some comments 
on the YouTube if you like it or don't like it. I'd love to hear what everybody thinks. Thank you again to all the listeners because, dude, we've had a blowout like subscriber list over the past six months, way more than what I accepted, expected it to be. So with that said, I'm your host, John Cook. Thank you all for listening. Remember, we are on a journey to front run the next generation of wealth creation that we believe is decentralized finance and cryptocurrency. Hit the subscribe button, share with your friends, check out our newsletter at frontruncrypto.com. And remember, don't invest more than you are willing to lose because crypto is freaking wild. Until next time, guys. Peace.